You're listening to the Bootstrap SaaS Operator, the podcast where we interview founders who are actually in the trenches. We talk about the transparent journey of how they build their SaaS companies, how they grow them, and what they would do differently if they would do it all over. Hey folks, with us today, Elaine, founder of AWO and serial entrepreneur. Elaine, super happy to have you on. Thank you, Nicholas. I'm loving being on this podcast. Awesome. Let's start with your backstory. Tell me a bit about your entrepreneurial journey. It has been a fun and, you know, being a serial entrepreneur, you try things, some things don't work. Other times you're like, wow, this is really working. I'm going to stick with this. So I've had probably six different companies over the last 20 years, and I've had two exits with two of them. Um, two of them I've closed. And but each one, you know, you're learning through it. And each company is different, or I wouldn't sell the companies I had, you know, if I really just wanted to stick with it. So um, it's been a lot of fun and some really hard days. But I've gone from being in tech to trying to do retail. And I found out I really prefer tech <laughs> over a retail company. <laughs> and uh, after my exits, I dabbled in a food company and again, realized I really just love tech. And so started Arvo. Interesting. What did you like, what brought you initially into entrepreneurship? I, you know, When I was even younger and people, you know, when you're a kid, people ask like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would always say I want to be a CEO and I want to wear cute outfits. Like it, <laughs> it wasn't even like, I don't know what I'm going to do to get there, but that was my goal in life. And, you know, you, you have a lot of different ways you can get to being a CEO. And I just learned in my early 20s that I really just like doing things my way and experimenting and failing and learning and doing it at my own pace rather than working for somebody. So I started my first company, at, I think when I was 24 or 25, after working for a couple of people and thinking, I can do what they're doing and better. So, you know, it was just kind of natural. My dad was an entrepreneur too. So I just kind of always saw him doing things and being successful. So I figured if he could do it, I could do it. That's a great thing. I think having entrepreneurs in the family or like in your close circle is super valuable. Yeah, it really shows it can be done. Yeah, definitely. I, I didn't have anyone in my circle. Like for me, I didn't even know that like being a business owner is like a thing basically. So yeah. um, really a different lifestyle. Awesome. But then let's let's jump to today and to your current tech venture. Like tell us a bit about Arvo, like what it does and who is it for? So we've um, pivoted a lot after launching it. So when we originally launched it, it was during COVID and we were coming in and, and helping people, their business with operations and workflows and processes and helping. And we realized, well, one thing that they needed was documentation. They had no process documentation and we were looking at what was out there And everything really looks a lot like a text document, you know, Google Doc or something. And we thought, man, with the way people learn these days, their short attention spans, they want to be able to skim, it needs to be eye-catching. And so we launched Arvo for that. And we, as we started getting it into the marketplace, our customers were saying, wow, this is even better for sending professional documents to clients. Like I don't have to send something as a, a document anymore. It can look really cool and designed as the, in Arvo. And so it really started becoming a client-facing platform. And then we created 
libraries where it could be a client portal that was branded for that client. And so it's really been evolving and and customers will still use it for some internal documentation and things, but where they get really excited and where we're happy to you know, transition to is to that more sales and account management approach. I would love to double click on that because I I would guess that in the moment making the decision to pivot from internal tool, I mean, your initial vision of it towards like being a client facing thing wasn't as easy as it now, like in retrospect, sounds like, tell us, uh, like, walk us through that decision. Yeah, that is really something great to dive into because I see this with founders a lot is that you don't want to let go of your original idea. And we were in that same spot. We didn't want to let go. And it has been two years in the making to transition that. And we're going through the new website now to launch with this new verbiage, making it client facing. And it was so, it's really difficult because you come up with this idea. You invest a ton of money into building your platform, whether you're bootstrapped or you're raising money, you know, that's still, it's coming from somewhere. Yeah. And you, you keep wanting to say, well, it's missing this feature or it's missing this, but you have these clients like literally yelling with excitement, like we are loving it for this, but you don't want to let it go. And so it's taken us a couple of years of convincing ourselves that, no, this is the route that we need to go. It is better, a better fit for this because that's where the clients want to use it. What was the thing that was holding you back the most? What the more was it that you weren't sure if like the clients are right with their perspective and that you maybe just like got the wrong clients telling you that like, like what, what was the blocker for you to basically not making the decision earlier that you ended up with? Oh, oh the biggest thing was, was it the audience fit? Were we going after the wrong audience? And so they were using it for this, but then we would get a $250 million client. They started using it for internal processes and then their sales team started using it for client facing. So, so it was like we eventually we got to where we were with enough of a range of our what we thought was our target audience. And we just kept seeing this continue to surface where they got started using it for client facing. They were larger companies, smaller companies. And so once we saw that pattern repeat enough with a broad amount of clients, then we thought, okay, it's time to pivot. Because you know, when you're building software, you have an initial idea and you think you know who your target market is. And so we we did that as anybody does. And the clients, you would what we wanted to have happen is we wanted bigger clients using it because they're going to pay you more money. And it took us a little while to get there because you do have to have enough feature sets, you know, for a, a company to use you. But once we got there and we're seeing the same thing, it's like we have to let this go or we're going to continue to suffer. If you need to hire the right developers and ship fast, then React Squad is for you. A boutique agency that specializes in React and only works with fast growth startups. Visit reactsquad.io to learn more. That makes a ton of sense. And then how big is the company right now in terms of employees or revenue? Anything you can share about that? We're at 14, uh, 14 employees. And our revenue is, um, if we're just looking at Arvo, we're a couple of million in. We do have a services side. And, and that is what has helped us to continue bootstrapping. I bootstrap all of my companies. And we always evolve our product, our software product, out of the services that we provide. And so we have a services side where we consult on operations, 
work management systems, like I don't know if you use Asana or Monday or ClickUp, we come in and, and help companies put in workflows, train their team properly. And so that has helped us continue to be bootstrapped and expand our development team without having to raise money. And then do, is it always in the same entity or like how do you quote unquote funnel the money from A to B? Because I think a lot of people have services companies see a problem and then like go after it, but it's it always sounds way easier than it is in the actual day-to-day. -day. So how, how did you manage that tension between like basically needing to make money to have payroll and then investing in the products? Oh, I mean, it's a constant battle every single day. And we are constantly just like, are we spending too many resources on this side where we need to be spending on this side? And we're just, you know, just like any founder, just doing the best that we can with the resources that we have. And at the end of the day, right now, we spend more of our resources on our services side until we can flip flop and have more revenue coming in from the software product. Because we do have a team and we want to make payroll. And we just know that, especially right now, where we've uh, figured out a better fit for Arvo and we need to make a lot of marketing changes and verbiage changes, it's going to be a little while until we have those resources showing in the dollar amount and having those people sign up. And we're going to do a lot of test marketing with landing pages and things. So for right now, we're letting that services side carry us. And then one more question around that. Is the product team like in a squad by itself or is it in a way like some people do like make a mix of like 50% services, 50% product work? Like how, how is that in, like split between those 14 people? The only team members that we have split um, are our testing team because we use our uh, we use Arvo with our services. So our service, our team knows how to use Arvo inside and out we will have some of our team test the new features coming out. But I've, you know, with, with having done two other platforms, really, it's such a hard shift for people to go from I'm managing clients or I'm doing production work to something on the platform. And so we really try to keep it separated. And we will use Uh, freelance teams or hiring on Upwork, things like that for so we can just keep our pod of software development or whatever it might be with a product and still keep it agile so that we're not spending too much. So we're, we're able to do that instead of trying to overlap on the services and the and Arvo side because it just gets to be brain fatigue. You're exhausted yeah. from like jumping around and nobody really does a great job of jumping around. But we found that with testing, that can be something at the end of the day, they know the software product from being in it. Like it's not that much of a demand on their their time or their mental capabilities. And then coming from the team to you as the founder, how do you manage your time between those two? <laughs> I mean, I work a lot. I'm a workaholic. <laughs> um, you just work double the time, basically. Yeah, you just work double. Uh, it, it's it, I've I've gotten a lot better at it. You know, in my first companies, I I was had a lot more time. I didn't have kids. You know, I was just managing my team and my company. Now I have a son, married, and it's just very different with time management. But in, in my day, I do use time blocks. Like yesterday, I needed to do marketing material. So I blocked off two hours on my calendar for sp uh, the specific marketing campaign that I needed to work on. Um, and other than that, I just try to manage my day on Thursdays. I have is my day to do services work. 
And on Fridays, I let that day be a more of a, let me just tackle things that I didn't get done during the week. So it might be some services stuff. It might be some Arvo stuff. So I try to manage it by day and then by time blocks. And then sometimes I just work at the end of the day to catch up. I mean, that makes a ton of sense because we ourselves have like an agency where I'm actively the CEO and then a, a couple of other smaller things where it's like quite a distraction sometimes. Yeah. And and I'll say too, one of the things that I've I've really been working on the last few years is letting go of things that are just sucking my time. So that might look like being a board member where I'm not being fulfilled anymore, um, you know, being on that board. And it's just becoming more of a negative feeling for me and letting that go. I don't need to be on something that I'm giving my time and it's not offering me any value as a person. And so I've just gotten better at being like, no, I can't do that. No, I don't I don't have capacity to put that into my day. And then trying to manage the things that I can handle. Do you have a framework for making those decisions? Just like seeing what drains your energy, what gives you energy, or how do you make those decisions? If I can make it from the start of the question, I have, I have a friend and she told me this and I've been using this and it, it, it's so it's working for me. It's if it's not a hell yeah, it's a hell no. And so if at the beginning, if I'm kind of like, mm, not sure, like, no, that's a hell no, because I am not excited about it. I'm not feeling fulfilled just by the question. So no, I can't do it. If I'm in it, then I have to start asking myself like, where, you know, maybe if I'm not feeling the value, am I offering value? And is it worth my time? And at that point, it's like, no, then I then I have to let it go. And I try to be as respectful as I can at getting out of that situation. Um, and it can be difficult. I'm a people pleaser. And so I tend to hold on to things longer than I should because I don't want to let people down. I can totally understand that. And then now that it's far from your first rodeo what are the things that you do do most differently compared to your first startups um i try to not work myself 20 hours a day anymore and i try to rest um, i really put more effort into how my team is managed and not used to i'd be like why why won't you work another two hours during the day like my expectations of your workload were so non-empathetic, <laughs> you know, like I'm working this much, why aren't you? And now I am very sensitive about how much I put on my team, how many different directions I'm putting them in. And I'll even work through an idea longer before taking it to the team so that they don't feel like I'm ping, you know, ping-ponging them around and exhausting them with, oh, another one of Elaine's ideas, another one of Elaine's tests. You know, so I try to do a little bit of the legwork first because our team is small. It's not like I have a five-person team that I'm like, hey, I've got this test idea. You, it's your job to go and do it. You know, My team is really small, so I don't want to exhaust them early on. And that's where I try to, you know, I want my team to stay on longer. When you have turnover, you're constantly retraining. You're constantly having to reteach things And things fall through the cracks because there's no way that when you have a, a team member leaving and you're bringing one on, that it's going to be perfect from day one. So as a, a CEO, as a, I'm a leader and a manager, I'm just trying to keep my team on long term, but in a way that fulfills everybody. Like I'm not taking everything on as the hero and trying to fix everybody's problem. I'm just trying to have expectations that this doesn't need to be done at the speed of light, that... It can be done in three days 
And it's going to be better because I'm not putting so much pressure on people or myself. So in a way, are you trying to just build like a, a calmer work environment and a more focus, focused work environment? Or like what, because like, I think the expectation management thing is always so tricky because on the one side, you in a way need to push your team sometimes, but overdoing it is like super bad, of course, also. So yeah, I want a calmer work environment where people enjoy coming to work. That high stress, my previous company, it was so high stress. We, and we still had long-term employees. I mean, our average tenure was seven years and our company was 11 years old. So, you know, we had people stick with us, but we, at the, towards the end of um, that company, the last four years, I'll say we, that's where we started investing in software to make it easier for people. We put in a ticketing system so that when people were on vacation, somebody else could handle their workload. And we put in Asana at the time. And so we started putting these things in because I don't want a high stress environment. Stress is a horrible, horrible thing to carry. And, you know, that's where it kicks off not just mental stress, but also physical stress. Like I started breaking out in, in eczema all over my hands and my arms because of carrying stress. And as soon as I started reducing the amount of stress, it started to go away. And I realized my I'm doing this to my team members as well. And so the calmer work environment, but we still have expectations. We still have goals. Like it's not like you come in and you just do whatever you want. Like we we have, you know, processes that we follow, expectations that need to happen, but I'm not trying to overwork them anymore. So basically just finding the balance of getting what the business needs out of them, quote, uh, basically, but then making sure they're not, not all like stressed out and burn out. Yeah. And I had to realize too that they're not me. You know, something that I can do in an hour, it, it's me. I'm running the business because I'm me and it might take them three times as longer, but I didn't have to do it. And now I could focus on something else. That was something I had to learn over time too. That makes a ton of sense. And then let's switch gears again and come back to Arvo. How, do, like on the growth and marketing side, because you mentioned marketing materials a couple of times now, how are you actively trying to grow Arvo right now? We do a lot of outreach with the networks that we're in. So there's a couple of CEO groups that I'm in that are around the world. And so I will reach out to them. And initially, I was just reaching out to them like, can I get your feedback? And using LinkedIn a lot, I use a ton of LinkedIn outreach. Because our target market, are, we're B2B. And our de decision makers are either the COO or the CEO. Typically, <clears throat> unless it's a larger company, And it, they're looking for their department, something like we have. And so I did a lot of just outreach. And then we did a lot of Google AdWords because people are looking for these search terms. And so that's been one path and then getting outreach. And so what I was able to do from doing so many feedback calls early on is I identified a sales process that then I could hire salespeople to repeat. And so they still use LinkedIn. We do, we do that a ton for um, outreach and finding the decision makers at companies. And I have that sales team just reaching out, staying on top of things. And then we just keep evolving. What, what are we hearing after we do new features? You know, what are people gravitating towards? And then how can we evolve it? And then talking to our customers. You know, that's how we found out so many of them are using it for this client facing thing. And so we try to, we look at our top users. We have a, 
within our, our admin dashboard, we're able to see who our top users are and our top companies that are using it the most. And so every six months or so, we do a check-in and like, hey, what are things that are y'all are doing? How are you using it? And that's the coolest stuff because they're doing it in ways that we might not have ever thought about. And that's been able to help us write case studies and evolve our product on, you know, what features are we not thinking about because we're not talking to our customers. And is that the product manager doing it, the CS person doing it, you doing it? Like who specifically has like the responsibility of making sure you talk to customers as a company? We, ha we have about four team members that do it. I, I do it with some of our larger clients that I might have brought on from our CEO groups. Um, our account managers do it because our account managers are using it. We use it ourselves with our clients and then we help our clients. Um, if, it, if they're a services client, then we're helping implement it as well. So we've gotten, you know, kind of everybody on board. If you're talking to a customer, then let's hear what they're saying. We have a, a product uh, roadmap that we go in and put in a request or an idea, and then we can vote on it as a company or, you know, maybe it's not a company-wide thing. Maybe it's just me and, and my co-founder, you know, we're like, yes, like I like that vision for it. Um, but we, ha we have a process for it and we have any, anybody client facing is on there, is talking to customers and getting feedback. I mean, that makes a ton of sense. And especially like sharing those learnings internally across teams, it's like so important. Yeah, I think with, whether you're a services company or a product company, having if you have account managers, you have to break down the silo that they're keeping the information to themselves. You know, when when I had a my previous software company, I had a team of twenty account managers, and the most of our weekly meeting that we did was telling stories about our clients, because when you can tell stories, people buy. We don't want to be just thrown facts all the time. You know, we want to hear stories. We want to hear stories of success and we want to know what failed. So I don't go and sell that to my client, you know, in the future. And so that's what I really want to do here again is keep telling those stories, tell what works, because then when I get on a sales call, I can say, you know what we did for this client, they're using it like this. We did this for them and this is what's worked. And so having that communication between your team members, I found is the most valuable sales tool. And then do you re record those calls and share it internally? Or how do you specific, like tactically make sure that they, the knowledge gets spread? We So we'll have the people on the call and then we do record the calls. And then we use our own, we use Arvo where we where I'll drop in the recording of that video in there. So if somebody wasn't there that day, they can watch it. And I will also flag certain ones that were really valuable. So when we have a new employee start, it's part of their training. And they might not have to watch the whole video. I'll just flag that time segment and say, you know, part of your training, watch this. That's so smart. I, you know, you just keep learning and keep improving. Yeah, absolutely. And then, I mean, entrepreneurship is not always like sunshine and rainbows. So like, what's something you're struggling with right now? A couple of things, um, you know, s changing our our uh, product fit and changing everything is a bit scary for me. Like I told you, it's taken me two years to get to this point. And so I have fear that, you know, we're going to do all this to change it. And then we're not going to be bringing on the customers and that we're going to be setting ourselves back months of work that we weren't pushing forward our other way. That one is extremely scary for me. Time management 
as always, that's so hard. Um, I'm, I never feel like I'm doing enough. Um, always feel like I'm letting people down because I didn't get more things done. My videographer, you know, on Monday was like, can you get me some things to work on? And I'm like, today, I just can't, you know, like there is not any room in my day. Um, so that wears on me a lot. And then I'm, I'm always wanting to be pushing ahead. And so one of my biggest obstacles is looking back at what we've done and like looking and seeing, you know, what worked in the past, because I just want to keep moving forward. And that can really bite us because then I'm going, well, I now I just came across this. I've already done this once because but I didn't want to take the time to go back and, and reassess what we had done. And so I think as a founder, we need to be able to do both. You can't just keep pushing forward and not looking back because then you're going to keep making not necessarily mistakes, but you're wasting time. And that's what I feel like I'm doing. I'm, I, I tend to be wasting time by redoing things that I've, I'd already put thoughts towards. Love that transparency. And then as a final question before we wrap up, where can people find you online? Oh, gosh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm really active on there. Elaine Boyd. Um, Arvo is askarvo.com. And uh, would love to chat and hear from you. Amazing. Elaine, thanks a ton for taking the time and coming on today. Thank you, Nicholas. This was awesome. If you like this episode, then you'll love the SaaS Operator, a weekly newsletter brought to you by Early Node with actionable insights from SaaS experts in the industry delivered right to your inbox every Tuesday for free. Visit earlynode.com to subscribe.